The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tomorrow, FedEx Field, 1 p.m., boys and girls, the first ever football game played by the Washington Commanders. I think I've gotten better at saying Commanders. It's not easy, uh, and we'll have to see how it goes. But tomorrow, the first ever actual game uh, played by the Commanders, even though it's a preseason game, uh, and preseason games really do suck. But tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, it is televised on NBC Sports Washington, and Kenny Albert will be doing the play-by-play. Doc Walker in the booth as the lead analyst. I can't wait for that. And Logan Paulson will be working uh, the sidelines. Speaking of Doc and Logan, Doc was on the podcast earlier this week on Monday. If you didn't listen to that, you should. He was great. On the show coming up in the next segment today, Logan Paulson will be my guest. Uh, Like Doc, by the way, a UCLA Bruin. Like Doc, also a tight end. Uh, Logan was great. Uh, I recorded my conversation with him earlier. Um, You know, he, like Doc, uh, uh, he's been out there a lot. Uh, Been at camp almost every day. And his insight uh, on what he has been seeing was really, really good. He had some very constructive things to say about Carson Wentz. Uh, You shouldn't miss that. Again, that's coming up. Uh, in the next segment. But tomorrow, yeah, for the first time, the Washington Commanders will see it written on a scoreboard. We'll see it as a Chiron on the football television broadcast. It'll be painted in the end zones. It'll be the first time we see them in their new uniforms. They're wearing white tomorrow, by the way, at home. Uh, new helmets. Uh, I, the helmets, by the way, the W, the burgundy helmets with the W, I actually think they look pretty good. See? I'm trying. Um, But it's new everything uh, tomorrow. The new fight song debuts tomorrow. I don't care about that. There will be mascot choices for the fans to pick from. Uh, There's also a game against the Panthers. Um, Washington, a three-point favorite tomorrow, if you're so inclined. Um, As far as the game goes, Ron Rivera uh, did say yesterday that he's going to play the starters a little bit, 15 to 20 plays, um, he said, for Carson Wentz and the offense. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, There were two games last night as the first full-fledged preseason weekend uh, of the 
uh, preseason got underway. The Giants played the Patriots. Um, the Patriots did not play their starters. They also had two men calling plays. Matt Patricia and, and Joe Judge were both calling the offensive plays. They took turns. We'll see how that works out for Belichick. Um, the Giants played their starters for a little bit. Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley uh, you know, had some productive moments. I watched a little bit of the Baltimore-Tennessee game. Very little of it. Baltimore beat Tennessee 23-10. to Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty, that I liked um, out of all of the quarterbacks coming out in the draft in terms of having the biggest ceiling, looked pretty good. You know, the Ravens, by the way, won their 21st consecutive preseason game. That's an ongoing record that they set last summer. Pretty amazing. Um, it, It really is because it's not likely that you win 21 preseason games in a row when you're not trying to. I mean, they didn't have Lamar Jackson or their starters last night. You know, it's not like that's what they do in preseason is play their starters a lot more than other teams. Uh, I think when you win 21 games in a row in the preseason without trying to win those games, meaning, again, not playing your best players, it's got to be lucky more than anything else, right? Uh, Maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, the winning aura. Uh, that they've had in Baltimore for a long, long time. Uh, Competent adults, no bullshit when it comes to the owner. Uh, The front office, the coaches, um, they've got an identity, the Ravens do. You know, every time I watch the Ravens, I think about this, and I know I've talked about this before, but they're one of the few teams, because it's rare in sports now that you say about a team, that team has an identity. You know, the Steelers have an identity, You know, this blue-collar town, which isn't so blue-collar anymore, um, but this tough, hard-nosed, physical, defensive kind of identity in Pittsburgh. And and that's kind of the, the Ravens as well. You know, their identity is toughness. Always tough on defense. No frills. You know, no promises. Total humility. Just an emphasis on being the baddest ass team on Sundays. You know, that's the Ravens, not overly sensitive to what somebody says about them. And if they do get pissed off with something that's said about them, they just take it out on their opponents on game days. They don't take it out on the media. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm getting to that here. uh, If you've been following some of the news of the day. Um, Washington has not been Baltimore, as we know, for a long time. Dan Snyder's franchise has been a total loser on the field and off it. Uh, We've been here documenting it for the the last, you know, 17 years or so. Um, You know, as I've mentioned many times, they have been the kings of over-promising and under-delivering. That's not the Ravens. Um, Washington's been arrogant. They've been insecure. They've been limited intellectually. You know, those are things in combination that are the worst in people, the worst in businesses. You know, being arrogant and dumb and insecure is really the worst combination, right? Because the arrogance never allows for that person or that organization to look in the mirror and admit that it's their fault because they don't think it ever is. Uh, anyway, with that, 
um, as a bit of a segue, I guess, uh, we get into the latest team-initiated distraction. Yeah, I said team-initiated distraction. Uh, You know the sign, I was talking to Tommy a little while ago, and he brought this up, so I'm going to give him credit for it. But you know the sign you see in a lot of uh, warehouses in particular? You know, they have written on a chalkboard something that reads, it's been 130 days without an accident. You know, my favorite show, Tommy's favorite show too, The Office, there's that episode where Michael's in the warehouse and he gets on the lift and he starts driving it around and knocking shelves to the ground and product all over the floor. And then someone just erases from the chalkboard that it's been 175 days or something without an accident accident, and writes zero days since the last accident. That's this football franchise. They're an unlovable Michael Scott. They can't go a week without an accident. It's really remarkable. And today's accident, as we erase the chalkboard and say, it's been 11 days since the last accident, we get into the Jason Wright tweet from earlier today. Uh, Before I read that tweet, to those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, let's get to what Jason Wright's tweet was about, what it was in response to, so you have some context for when I read the tweet. Um, You've got to listen to what he was responding to. What I'm going to play for you here is a part of an interview that Scott Abraham from Channel 7 did with Carson Wentz yesterday. So listen to this interview, and then I'll talk about it. There's been kind of a narrative out there here in training camp that you've been a little inaccurate um, on your throws. Uh, Consistently inconsistent has been a kind of a terminology. How would you assess your performance in training camp, and is that characterization uh, fair? Yeah, I mean, for one, it's camp. You know, I think uh, I didn't know that, so thank you. Because I I know you told me you don't read that stuff. At the same time, uh, I'm my biggest critic. So I I come back after practice, and I'm kicking myself over one, two, three, four, five plays, you know. Real talk here, Carson. It's been well documented. Philly didn't want you. Indy didn't want you. Do you think this is your last chance to prove that you can be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I don't really think about all that stuff. For me, I'm playing the game that I love, and I have the most confidence of anybody in myself to deliver, to play at a high level, um, to, you know, be a part of something special here with this team. And so I don't, I don't put all that pressure on myself. I don't put, you know, people can, can feel that way. People can say what they want, and uh, I have no issue with that. You know, that is what it is. But for me, I don't, I don't think in those terms. So that was Scott Abraham yesterday, an excerpt from his interview with Carson Wentz. Um, I will get to Jason Wright's tweet, which created a bit of a shitstorm earlier today. I'll get to that in a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you what I thought when I first watched this and listened to it. You know, it was right after my radio show this morning. It was before Jason had tweeted about it. And my response was... Good job. Good questions by Scott. Good answers by Carson. You know, it wasn't a puff interview. It was hardly a super tough interview. But those two questions are questions where, you know, especially if you haven't done a one-on-one yet with Carson Wentz, and I don't think Scott had, those are fair questions. Those are questions that I am sure he's expected 
uh, to, to he's been expecting in any interview. You know, if the PR department's worth their salt, they have told, you know, Carson with any interview that he's going to do, you're going to get asked about Philadelphia and Indianapolis. You're going to get asked about training camp and some of the stories coming out that you've been inaccurate with your throwing. I thought the questions were totally fair. I also thought that Carson did a really good job answering the questions. I did. You know, I, I thought, you know, with the first question about the inaccuracies, him, you know, talking about being the biggest critic of himself and that he kicks himself over, you know, one, two, three, four, five plays every day. Good answer. The su- second question where he was asked by Scott about whether or not he thinks this is his last chance to prove that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Good question. Relevant question, especially, you know, uh, considering the – uh, Philadelphia and Indianapolis exits, but I thought Wentz handled it well. You know, he said he doesn't think about that stuff. He's playing the game that he loves, and he pretty much said that people can say whatever they want, but he's focused on this year with this team. That's a good answer. You know, he didn't make any headlines with any of his answers. That means he handled it well. Um, good job by Scott. Good job by Carson. That's what I thought. Now, There's one suggestion I would make, uh, and I did, just so you know, I made it to Scott because I called Scott earlier today. Um, I called Scott to find out whether or not Jason Wright had reached out to him before Jason Wright sent out his tweet. I also called Scott because I know Scott, and he's a friend of mine, and he has me, he's had me on his show many times, and he's been on my show several times. And I said, those were fair questions. But I also said to him what I'm going to say to you right now. And that is, um, I thought the setup to the second question about this year potentially being his last to prove that he's a starting quarterback was, you know, direct and a bit aggressive. You know, the tone of that question was more combative. The question, totally fair. But the intro into the question where Scott says, quote, it's been well do- it's been well documented. Philly didn't want you. Indy didn't want you. For me, that's the only part that I would have probably handled differently. I would have definitely asked both of those questions. Not a chance that I wouldn't have asked both of those questions. They are questions you have to ask if you've got Carson Wentz in a one-on-one for the first time. But for me, I think I would have handled the intro to that second question. Instead of saying, Philly didn't want you, Indy didn't want you, I would have said something like, you know, it didn't work out in Philadelphia. It didn't work out for you in Indianapolis. Do you view this year as a last chance to prove that you can be the kind of quarterback people thought you were going to be early in your career? I think that's the way I would have handled it. A little bit less like in your face, Philly didn't want you, Indy didn't want you. But it's not like Scott was, you know, overly aggressive or crossed some line or was trying to to to, to play gotcha to get some sort of response from Carson. That's not what Scott was doing at all. But that's all. That's the only thing that I would have changed. You know, it didn't work out in Philly. It didn't work out for you in Indianapolis. Do you think? Yada, yada, yada. Um, I mean, Scott's not wrong. It didn't work out for him in Philly. 
It didn't work out for him in Indianapolis. They didn't want him in Philly. They didn't want him in Indy. You know, let's not forget, people, this guy plays the most important position in sports, and it's the hardest position in sports to fill with someone who's really good at it. You don't get rid of good quarterbacks unless you're a bad organization. You know, but Philly and Indy are pretty solid organizations, which makes the fact that they bailed on him, you know, back-to-back years at great expense, by the way, as we've talked about since the trade happened, a red flag. I mean, you can say he's got a chance to redeem himself, and I think he's going to do it, and I think he's better than anything we've had here, but you, you know, you can also say simultaneously the trade is a red flag. And, oh, by the way, I think they overpaid in the trade, uh, but we've been down that before. Now, he's got a chance. He's got a chance to prove Philadelphia wrong. He's got a chance to prove the Colts wrong. And in the process, by the way, simultaneously prove Ron Rivera and Washington right. But, you know, he hasn't done it yet. It doesn't matter how many good answers or polite answers he gives to tough questions. The only answers that matter for him are the answers he gives on the field beginning September 11th against Jacksonville. But anyway, from my standpoint, netting it out, there was nothing out of bounds about Scott's questions, and Carson did a very good job answering those questions. Now, to Jason Wright's tweet. Um, Jason Wright, the team president, tweeted out the clip that I played for you uh, and wrote the following, quote tweeted it, um, and wrote the following, quote, Thankfully, Carson demonstrated grace and class in response to this pompous, unprofessional mess. I recognize you have made a living on childlike provocation, but it needs to be called out. Don't expect special access and good luck building rapport with the guys. That's what he sent to Scott publicly, quoting that that clip. Whoa. I mean, seriously, what is he doing? Let me preface my response to Jason Wright's tweet with this. I actually think Jason Wright is a decent guy. I've said that before. I think most of you know that. I don't know him well. Um, We've had several conversations. We've gotten together before. Um, And I think the reason that we've had conversations and we've gotten together um, is that Jason's tried to make an effort to get to know some of us in the media, a lot of people in the media. And you may say, well, why? Well, because the team was so bad at relationships with so many different groups that he understands that, you know, creating better relationships with not just the media, uh, but with their sponsors and their customers and their season ticket holders and their suite holders, it would be better for the team. You know, I've mentioned this before, Jason Wright's got the responsibility of building a business that's losing resilient. Well, this is part of it, and I understand that, and I respect him for that. You know, um, in practicality, you know, no team that loses as much as this team has and has been such an embarrassment 
off the field as this team has over a long period of time is ever going to have a great relationship with anybody uh, because everybody's going to turn negative, especially in a market our size. You know, we're not a tough media market, and we're not a tough fan market necessarily like Philly, Boston, or New York, but we're not Des Moines either. But when you suck as much as they have and when their behavior's been even worse, um, there's going to be a lot of criticism from media and fans alike, and I think it turns, you know, the organization gun-shy. So I do understand that, but they've created their bed, uh, and they just haven't, you know, lied in it very well. Um, But the relationship between the team and media, just like the relationship between team and sponsors, team and season ticket holders, team and fans as a whole, all of the above relationships had deteriorated. And Jason Wright's hoping to be a better representative of the team, or at least the team's business side, Um, with, you know, customers and media and sponsors and fans and season ticket holders, etc. And I can tell you, he's tried very hard on those fronts. And, And I respect that. I think that that is the smart thing to do. But this tweet today, like a lot of other things that have happened here recently and since they got here, just aren't helpful. You know, so let me respond to this tweet. First and foremost, I would recommend that Jason become a bit more anonymous. I've mentioned this to him before. I know there is a case to be made that he's actually the most impressive person in the building out there, and certainly he should be doing everything possible to build the business, and that may require with this organization in particular, because it's lost so much over the years, for him to be out there a little bit more than most team presidents. But most NFL fans, my God, they have no idea who the president or the lead business person of their favorite team is. You know the owner, you know the GM, you know the coach, you know the players. For a hundred bucks, most NFL fan and NFL fans could not name the guy that handles the business side of the organization, and they don't care. Now I get it. Jason Wright's accomplishment of being the first black NFL team president was going to result in us knowing his name more than most NFL team presidents. Understood. But I think he's far too public on things that he shouldn't be. You know, and maybe in his defense, he's in part asked to be more of the public face because the owner isn't a public face. He's so, you know, despised, and he's so reclusive as well. But Jason Wright should not be tweeting out a defense of the team's quarterback and threatening Scott Abraham's access to covering the team. Those responsibilities are Ron Rivera's responsibilities. Defending a football player on the team, if necessary, And I'd argue that this was hardly necessary. Scott's questions and Carson's responses didn't rise to the level of needing a public defense. But if there is a public defense required of a football player, that's Ron Rivera's job. You know, that's a Ron thing. That's a football thing. And really, it should have been a non-thing. But now, it is a thing. 
And that's what they do. You know, they take little things and turn them into big things. And it hasn't changed with this new group. You know, the list of 10 players added to the 80 to make the 90 greatest that they were creating the list to give to the fans and they excluded Trent Williams and they made 15 spelling errors. That should have been a positive press release. But instead, it became a thing. When they decided, uh, you know, very hastily to retire Sean Taylor's jersey, you know, 48 hours before announcing it, and then they pose with the family in front of porta potties for a t- for a picture, and they allow Patrick Mahomes' brother to dance all over Sean's name on the field. What should have been a positive becomes a negative, and I could go on and on, as you all know, I could. Um, a few more things on this uh, before we get to Logan Paulson. Clearly, Jason was upset with the interview that Scott did. He should have called Scott to tell him how upset he was rather than go public. And Scott told me he didn't call. Scott deserved to be called, not called out publicly for something that was very benign, in my opinion. Scott's done a a ton of super positive stories on the team since he's got to town. You know, I'm not sure there are many people covering this team that have been more fair, more positive in the coverage of their team. I don't follow everybody, but I know Scott a little bit, and he's done a lot of stuff that I'm sure the team's been thrilled with that not everybody else has done. Um, let me add this, too, and this goes for everybody out there. Stop being so sensitive. You know, get pissed off at the coverage all you want, but respond by beating the shit out of the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants. You know, respond by winning more games than you lose. How about win a goddamn playoff game for the first time in 17 years? Let me repeat that, by the way, for emphasis. It really is kind of an amazing statement. The team hasn't won a playoff game since the 2005 season, and it's 2022. Why on earth would any NFL organization or anybody in an NFL organization ever respond to criticism when you haven't won a playoff game in 17 years? Don't talk anymore. Just act. Do. Win. I know that there are some decent things happening out there. I know that. You know, I know it's a better place to work than it was before Jason and his team got there. That's great. You know, I know that Jason and Ron uh, Rivera, Jason and Ron, want everybody really to be much more positive about the results since they got here two years ago. But, you know, while the last two years might be better for the people that work in the organization, they're not better for anybody else. The record's 14 and 19 in two years. You know, and it's been one off-the-field bungle after another. Nearly all of them preventable. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago Jack Del Rio killed any chance, if there was a chance, at a stadium in Virginia. Dan Snyder just a year ago 
according to all of the information, was running a shadow investigation of the Beth Wilkinson investigation that may have resulted in witnesses to the Beth Wilkinson investigation feeling intimidated. Like, you guys may see the changes out there, but nobody's throwing a party for you because you got a nice, you know, HR department progress report. I mean, seriously. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like Wolf from, from, you know, the Wolf from Pulp Fiction, you know, after he tells Vincent and Jules, pretty please with sugar on top, go clean the effing car, you know, after the car was kind of clean, not totally clean, you know, Jules and Vincent won all this, you know, they won all this credit for it. And the, and the Wolf says, let's not start, you know, blanking each other quite yet. We got a long way to go here. If I'm curt with you, it's because time is a factor. I think fast, I talk fast, and I need you guys to act fast if you want to get out of this. So pretty please, with sugar on top, clean the fucking car. So just, you know, cool your heels a little bit. And don't be overly sensitive to the fact that, you know, the media and the fans aren't doing a group sing-along about how far your HR department has come in two years. You know, become a winner on the field. Become less embarrassing off of it. And you won't believe how positive things will become. Win on the field, become less embarrassing off of it, and you will be very happy with the response from everybody. Now, I say that understanding that it is an uphill battle as long as Snyder still owns the team. But control what you can control and live with that. All right, that's enough on that. Logan Paulson next after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic 
Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, tomorrow, 1 p.m., NBC Sports, Washington, uh, the first preseason game ever for the Washington Commanders uh, as they host the Carolina Panthers. We already had one UCLA Bruin on the podcast this week. He will be in the booth with Kenny Albert. Uh, The second UCLA Bruin of the week is Logan Paulson, and Logan will be working sidelines for all of the preseason games on NBC Sports Washington. So between Kenny Albert, Doc Walker, I don't know where Kenny Albert went to school. I bet you he went to Syracuse, though. It's I think I think all of the Alberts <laughs> went to Syracuse. Uh, that's my guess. I don't know. I'll, I'll look that up. Um, but we've got two UCLA guys as part of the broadcast and, and two tight ends. And, you know, and I've said this, Logan, um, before, and I and Doc and I were talking about this the other day. I actually think, and I'm curious as to what your opinion is on this, Personally, watching these preseason games, they're painful to watch. Um, I think it's one of the worst product offerings that any of the four major sports offers. I think in a couple of years, we'll be down to two with 18 uh, you know, regular season games. But I do think that for fans of the team, listening to you guys is where we might learn more than actually watching what's going on in the field. And, and you know, I, I used to say this to Joe, Joe T. all the time as he was calling all the games because he's talking to players, he's talking to coaches all the time. You and Doc are doing the same. Um, and I think that's what the, the broadcast of these preseason games kind of reveals. Do you agree with me? I mean, you can speak to what I just said as far as your role in communicating what you know. But as a fan, can I really gauge that much by watching these games? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, I personally believe that the preseason is a very critical part of the evaluation process. I think it's you know, it's basically like a glorified practice, but you are working through some things from like a, uh, a game preparation standpoint that you don't get from regular practice. And what do I mean by that? Oh, you got to travel to the stadium. You got to be there early. You got to work through your warm up. You got to actually get the play call from the sideline if you're an offensive and defensive play caller, right? You got to work those mechanics. You got to work substitutions. So I do think it's a really good kind of marker for like where the team is at. I think. You know, that first, you know, I think Ron said they're going to play uh, 18 to 15 to 20 plays. I think if the offense comes out and looks good, it will be less than that. But that's a really good indicator for kind of where the offense is at. You know, people say, oh, they've struggled in training camp offensively. But, you know, they're not game planning for this defense, right? Like a lot of the concepts that Scott likes to run are, you know, kind of cover three beaters, you know, cover two beaters. And our defense doesn't run a lot of, run, run a lot of that coverage. So, run like, how is that going to look against Carolina? I think that's important, right? I also think it's good for – some of the young guys, you know, the tight end position specifically on the team is very young, very, very talented, but very young. And it's good to see how those guys are actually perform when the coach isn't standing right behind them, kind of barking instructions. So I personally, you know, I'm a fan of football. I'm a football junkie. You know this, Kevin. But, like, I like the preseason for that element. I also like seeing guys who kind of 
give testament to themselves and say, hey, I'm gonna, I deserve to be on the team, right? And so hopefully, like, you know, the broadcast that we're doing on Saturday allows fans to see that side of it, right? Because I think this is a beautiful time of year. Like, I love the preseason because it's the reason I'm in the, I, I had the opportunity to play for as long as I did the NFL. It's like I'm auditioning for not only the, uh, you know, the Washington football team, the commanders, whoever it is, but also the other 32 teams in the NFL and saying, I deserve an opportunity to be an NFL football player. So I love that drama of it. I love the kind of nuance of it. And, uh, yeah, but I, like I'm a football nerd, so of course I'm going to like it. I mean, it's it's a great perspective. I mean, because you this is what allowed you to end up having an NFL career was – um, doing it at this time of year. And and I would definitely agree with you from the standpoint, for, and I'm talking about from, you know, a, a perspective like mine, which is a fan, you know, and a hardcore football fan at that, and a fan of this team, you know, lifelong, is that the player evaluation stuff is interesting. I'm really, I guess I'm referring more to the fact that the results are insignificant in terms of the final score, right. and really, no, this no one's playing to win the game, you know, and so you don't get the situational, uh, you know, uh, football stuff, um, game stuff. You don't get certainly significant game planning. I'm curious though, like if you were a coach, a head coach, how would you handle? the preseason because different teams handle it in different ways. Would you play your starters a lot or a lot more than say most teams, or would you play them, you know, kind of the the way I, I would say the majority of teams handle it, which is trying at all costs to avoid injury. Yeah, I think, I think it just depends, right? I think if you're a mature team, like I think the LA Rams are kind of a lot of example in this situation. Like they, they don't play any of their stars in the preseason. But they're a very mature team. They're an older team. They have a very veteran-looking roster. So they get all of their kind of, you know, good versus good work and joint practices, right? Um, I do think that for a younger roster like the Commanders, I think a little bit of preseason work is important. Um, and, you know, I think they need more preseason work because they don't get any kind of competition with the joint practices. So I think based on the structure that Ron has designated here, I do think that this, this team needs to probably play a little bit more in the preseason than other teams, like L.A., like Tampa Bay, teams that are, you know, they're ingrained in this kind of uh, joint practice structure, which allows the coaches to evaluate them and their roster versus other teams, and allows them to kind of play versus other defenses. They don't get that. This is the only time they'll get that because of decisions Ron's made. And so if, if I had made the same decisions as Ron, yes, I would play my team more in the preseason, right? And if guys get hurt, guys get hurt. This is a physical football game, and like you never want to see anybody get hurt, obviously. But like that's a risk of, of playing the game. You know, you can get hurt in practice. There's, a, there's been a rash of injuries in practice as well, soft tissue injuries. So nothing that's going to keep anybody out for any extended period of time. But this game has an inherent amount of risk to it. And um, you know, all the all the veteran guys that I've played with who didn't do the joint practice thing almost demanded to play a certain amount in the preseason. They didn't want to play a ton, but they wanted to get about 15 snaps per game get in the rhythm, feel, feel good, and then get out of there, right? Because you want to kind of just check yourself, make sure you're seeing things correctly, make sure you're executing at a high level versus a, a different opponent than your own defense. So I do think it's important. It just depends on how you get that kind of cross, uh, cross-contamination competition and um, Ron's obviously chosen to do that through uh, preseason games. One of the things I've noticed and I've I've commented on uh, over the last many years about preseason games is there are certain 
um, group of teams. New England, you see it. You even saw it last night, even though they didn't have their starter Mac Jones playing. But they threw the ball 40 times. They only ran it 18. Um, I can remember there were games in the preseason where Brady threw the ball 28 to 30 times and a half and then didn't play the second half, and they barely ran the football. Seattle's done that, or they used to do that with Russell Wilson. Um, that That's one trend. I mean, there, there are probably others that may maybe you and, and others have picked up on but I have noticed that there are certain teams over, I'll just call it the last decade, that have just said, to hell with trying to run the ball. What we need to do is we need to get our quarterbacks and receivers into some kind of rhythm. And they almost use these preseason games to do that. Does that make sense to you? I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it depends on what you want to work on, obviously. Like certain teams, like I think, you know, Baltimore, they're going to run the football a little bit more. Tennessee, they're going to run the football a little bit because that's who they are. That's their team identity, and they need to make sure they're sharp in that category, right? And I think, um, obviously, the modern NFL, you got to throw the football. You're going to throw the football more than you're going to run it, and that's just sound process just because of how the game is structured, the rules are structured to support that philosophy. And so I think that, um, yeah, if I'm if I'm treating these games as an as a opportunity to get ready for the season, I'm going to try and throw the football. I'm going to try and make sure we're on the same page. I'm going to try and make sure the receivers see the adjustments, run the routes with the same angles that the quarterback wants, and make sure that that, that process is really, really dialed in. And I think that's why most teams kind of lean that way. Because, you know, you don't really need to double-check your running back because, you know, they're running against the same front in practice every day and they feel pretty good about it. Like, you need to make sure your quarterback is ready for the different coverages and understands the checks. Our receivers, they understand the checks. So I do think it, it makes a ton of sense for me if teams kind of lean that way, and especially in a situation where the risk is so low. And what I mean by that is, like, who cares if you go three and out? Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, let's just get the practice, let's get the reps, let's get, the, let's get time on task. It might as well use this as an opportunity to do that. Yeah, you know, you just made me think of something that I said on radio this morning. Um, Ron Rivera was talking about Sam Howell uh, after his presser yesterday and said, you know, it's going to be Carson and then Taylor and then Sam Howell. And he said, and I'm, and I just pulled the quote, I would love to see Sam get a two-minute at the end of the game. That would be really cool. It would be great experience for him as well. And I said this morning on radio, and I'll tell you it right now, well, why doesn't he just do it? Like, who cares what the yeah. score is? Like, two minutes to go, we're playing this like we're down 17-10 with two timeouts left. Uh, let's use this opportunity to see how he, he does in the two-minute. You could always, you know, tell Matt Rule before the game, there are certain situations in the second half, score, clock, not, you know, out the window that we want to work on, and I'm just giving you a heads up, you know, in case, like, the score is 28 to nothing or something, and they're calling timeouts yeah. in the final two minutes. But why not take that? You know, that's what you do in scrimmages. I mean, I totally agree with you, Kevin. I think that's the right way to approach it. I think that's one of the advantages of a joint practice is you can actually schedule. Say, hey, you know, whatever team we're playing against, we want to work two minutes, we want to work red zone, we want to work whatever, whatever, whatever. I do think, you know, you said it doesn't really matter uh, to a lot of coaches if they win the game, but I find that uh, coaches get competitive and they have like these little handshake agreements before the game start that oftentimes um, don't materialize or people renege on because, they want to win the football game. So as much as people don't seem to, you know, like the fans don't care, the players don't really care, coaches get competitive. They want to put a best foot forward. They want to have good stuff to talk about in the media the next week. And they'll, they'll, they don't always kind of honor those kind of arrangements. So I think that's part of the thing that's difficult about doing it 
on game days, you don't have active communication with the other coach. You can say, oh, hey, um, you know, for the game, this is what we're thinking about. But in the, in the heat of the moment, maybe that goes by the wayside. So that's where I think the advantage of the joint practices is, is exponentially more advantageous because you can actually schedule what you want to see um, from those periods and get those situations you want executed. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, as a basketball coach, when we would be scrimmaging teams, I would say to the other coach, look, I, if you don't mind in this segment, I want you guys just to play exclusively, you know, zone defense. I want to work on our zone right. offense. Or, you know, will you, will you press us for, you know, five or six possessions? I want to work on my press break. You know, things like that. Sure. Um, and really what I was talking about, too, really was more or less like – if you're up, let's just say 21 to 3 at the end of the game and yeah. Sam Howell's still in there, but you want to see what he's like in the two minute, take take that opportunity to and 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 just make sure the other coach knows you're not rubbing it in. You're just working on some <laughs> stuff because it's the preseason. Um all right. No, yeah, go yeah, ahead. But I absolutely think that would be great. I think that would be a great idea also. I think I think that that is the right idea to do. That is the right approach, especially if that's something you want to see from him. Like you can kind of make the situation, even if it's four minutes left in the game, why not run two minutes? I totally agree with that. I just think coaches, like you said, coaches get a little funny about stuff. Like this is their livelihood. They don't want to look bad. Yeah. All those different variables. But, um, you know, just got to kind of navigate that. By the way, speaking of just kind of preseason and coaches, did you see, um, did you watch either one of the two games last night? No, I'm I'm doing prep for the uh, okay, actually actually I was at a high school high school football game last night. I'm, I'm coaching at Independence High School. Oh, you and told so, me that. Uh, we yeah, had our first, we had our first scrimmage last night, so how to get get the boys ready for that? What are you coaching specifically? I'm coaching O line, so I'm like the run game coordinator there. Okay, got it. Um, last night, Belichick basically had Matt Patricia and Joe Judge split the offensive play calling duties. <laughs> which, you know, this is a preseason game and you're trying things out, but shouldn't you know at this point who your play caller is going to be? Yeah, I don't know. That I mean, that whole thing is kind of, I mean, it's a classic Belichick move. Like, it seems like there's a lot of, like, misinformation around that, and I'm sure he has an idea of who he wants to go with already, but... You know, like, doesn't that such a, like doesn't that smell like a Belichick like so like strongly? That's something that he does. He's like always kind of playing the game within the game, like within his own team, and he just does kind of eccentric, weird stuff. So it doesn't surprise me, and it is it is unusual, I think, but it doesn't surprise me at all that it's happening in New England. No, it does. It it, it feels like him. Um, before I get to sort of your observations of camp so far. Uh, you said something earlier. You said, you know, Ron said 15 to 20 plays, and you don't think it'll be that much. I kind of agree with you on on that. Um, but he said before he talked about 15 to 20 plays, he said the following. He said, we want to see some consistency in the huddle, breaking the huddle, getting to the line of scrimmage, being successful with plays that are called. It's so funny because over the last few years, I can't tell you how many times I've made the comment about a coach being so concerned about the actual pre-play stuff. You know, it's like, and I want you to explain to everybody, you know, especially when you have a new quarterback with new terminology, just how much of a concern it is for Scott Turner that they just get the play in on time, that Carson gets it, calls it correctly, they get to the line of scrimmage in time, and they don't end up with delay of game penalties or having to burn timeouts. Like, that's a legitimate concern with new quarterbacks in particular, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's every preseason that seems to come up, even on established teams. Like when I was in Atlanta with Matt Ryan, like that was something that we had to kind of her, her hustle up, right? And you know, Matt is a pro, is pro, but you know, like it's a good, it's a good, it's a good exercise for the coordinator just to learn how much time they have to get the play call. Because in practice, you're, you're a little bit more cavalier. You're kind of like, oh, let's try this. Oh, let's try this formation. You kind of backtrack. And in the game, you can't do that, right? So I remember in Atlanta, Matt would freak out at the OC because he's like, this is a real game. Like, you can't be kind of, you know, one toe in, one toe out type of thing. And they'd have big yelling matches on the sideline in the preseason because Matt was trying to drive that process. So to me, it's as much for Scott Turner as it is for Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz has to get to play verbalized. And I think, you know, Ron said he wants to see guys run the line of scrimmage. It just shows a level of confidence in what they're doing, like no indecision, get to the line of scrimmage, get lined up, especially in Scott Turner's offense. There's so much motion. Um, there's so much misdirection. You want guys to just be confident in terms of how they're lining up, understand what they're doing. The game plan should be simplified, so it should be very straightforward. But again, those are huge metrics in the preseason. As you, you'll watch, as the game goes on, you know, Carson, I bet you'll be pretty sharp. But Taylor will be pretty sharp. And then, um, you know, Sam Howell will get in there, and it'll be a little bit loose. Like, guys will be kind of walk through the line of scrimmage. They're not as sure what the play is. They're not as sure what the alignments are. And it's game really slow down and so ideally if you're wrong you want everything to be super sharp through all three groups but very rarely does that happen you know this conversation actually just reminds me of Dwayne Haskins first start here um it was in Buffalo Logan and you know, the whole week leading up to it was like, you know, we got to make sure we get the plays in and he gets them called. I mean, they were basically kind of sounding the alarm bell about, you know, how disorganized they might be offensively. They didn't have to burn one time out and they never once had a delay a game penalty in the game and everything seemed to, <laughs> to be, you know, completely um, smooth. Um, all right, let's talk about what you've seen so far uh, in camp. Uh, obviously, the big story, it seems like, or a consistent story, has been Carson Wentz and his inaccuracy, you know, whether it's 7-on-7, 11-on-11, seven seven, 11 11, whatever. Uh, what's been your uh, impression of Carson Wentz so far in camp? You know, I think um... – you know, when this comes up, a lot of credit needs to be given to the defense. They've done an outstanding job, especially the back end in terms of matching concepts. And, and that, that's something that needs to be called to attention here. But I will say, Carson, um, you know, in seven-on-seven periods, in two-minute periods where the rush is kind of limited, has looked pretty sharp. But I think the thing that's kind of alarming to me is that when the rush starts coming, when they're doing nine-on-nine, which is like a three-man rush in a seven-on-seven structure, and then, um, you know, team periods, obviously, when the rush is there, um, his mechanics kind of get a little bit loose. And what I mean by that is he's not driving into his front foot. He's kind of not moving his feet and his hips to kind of direct the throw. And I think those uh, those inconsistencies with his footwork, excuse me, lead to um, inconsistencies in the passing game. And I think that's something that um, I've been called, like I, I've been made aware of the more and more I watch him. Now, all of the misses are not necessarily his fault. I think there's some, you know, like anytime you're installing an offense with new pieces around, like there are alignment issues, there's depth issues, there's timing issues when it comes to routes. So it's not entirely on him. But I do think because of that, that stuff you saw from him from Indianapolis and from in Philly, like you'd like to see some of that stuff kind of be cleaned up as we go through camp. And it has, and he's been more efficient. But I think that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on in the preseason game is how the rush affects his mechanics and how it affects his accuracy. Anything you, you is is there anything you've seen so far 
that has you concerned about what you're going to see in the regular season? I mean, obviously, like, I mean, yes, there are some things that are, I find somewhat concerning. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, start an alarm, uh, you know, sound the alarm here or anything like that. But I, I think the, the, the lack of con- consistency with Terry McLaurin, the lack of timing with Terry is somewhat concerning. Obviously, we still got a lot of time yet before the before the season starts. I'd like to see that come around here. Um, I think uh, like some of the inconsistencies in terms of accuracy from Carson Wentz. I mean, that's who he was in Indianapolis. So you know, I'm not sure that's going to change. And um, you know, like I said, the defense has done a really nice job in terms of matching concepts. But I am I have a small level of concern about you know Scott Turner diversifying play calls. And again, it's training camp, so. It's hard to know exactly like what he's thinking. They're not game planning, but all those things um, are, you know, on my on my radar in terms of things I'm keeping an eye on moving forward and things that can definitely be corrected between now and when the season starts. And I think also it'll be good to watch uh, the game on Saturday to kind of get a bead on on how this offense looks and how it moves and how it executes when they're not going against the defense that knows exactly what they're doing every play. All right, let's take a break. More with Logan Paulson. More Logan Paulson on Carson Wentz right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Logan Paulson uh, is our guest. Uh, Before I get back to um, some Carson Wentz discussion with Logan, let me just remind everybody that if you want to bet preseason football, do it with MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. Uh, Washington's a three-point favorite over Carolina uh, tomorrow. Um, again, MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. KevinDC is the promo code. If there's something already written in the promo code section, just erase it and write KevinDC. So if I told you that you had to make a wager on a yes-no answer to the following question, (laughs) the question being, will Carson Wentz be the starting quarterback here in 2023? (laughs) What would your answer be? Um, You have to wager real money, like hurtful money if you lose it. Yeah, it's even so money I'm, though. I'm it's even money. Like yeah, it's e- wh- wh- whatever like the number um, is that it, that would hurt you. Uh, I would say uh, if I'm if I'm totally gonna hedge here, I'd say I have no idea. I have to watch him play in regular season games, but as of right now, I'm relatively confident 
that uh, that he would be the starter in 2023, relatively. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But it's like, well, guess, yeah, you yeah, an- you answered the question. I, you you said yes for I don't 2023. Love, I, don't, I don't love. I don't love the bet because I haven't seen him play yet. Right. But I would say yes based on what he's done through OTAs and training camp. You told me a couple of months ago, and it was during like OTAs or whatever, I said, can you tell, like on a Jahan Dotson, on skilled position players, you said yes, you can tell. Like if they actually look like and will be legitimate NFL players. I'm talking about for, for rookies. Um, what yeah. Can you tell on Sam Howell yet? Um. So yeah, I think if I was going to give an assessment of Sam Howell, I think he's he's a good football player. He's got some athletics upside. He's inconsistent, and I think there are signs that he can be something. But with quarterback, unlike you know receiver, running back, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, there's so much other stuff that goes into that. There's so much intellectual kind of pursuit that, that that's involved with that position that it's hard to tell how he's handling that. And I will say, it looks like he's got enough arm talent. Looks like he's got some good athleticism that you know you could have like a, a feature of the offense be, be built around his legs. Um, but in terms of how he's digesting the plays, it's hard to tell sometimes. Um, again, a little bit inconsistent inconsistent with his accuracy. But we've seen guys in the NFL make great careers who are, are somewhat inaccurate. Um, and the other thing that's hard to tell with him is he's working only against the threes. So some of the throws that he's making, I'm not sure those fly against varsity. But I, I think there is something there, and I think it's, but I think it's a year, maybe two years away in terms of him being, you know, like a top end kind of backup type player. All right, um, out of you know all of the practices you've attended, all of the people you've talked to, give me the player, uh, the unit, or the thing that has impressed you the most so far. Oh my gosh, that's uh, so. I would say. I'm going to give you a couple things. So first off, the tight end position, the young tight end specifically have just looked outstanding. Uh, Cole Turner, when healthy, looks like a real difference maker for this offense. Curtis Hodgins, I think, could maybe make varsity here as a, as a, uh, as a rookie undrafted free agent. And then Armani Rogers has looked like a tremendous athlete, and I think he's going to be something, uh, could be something really special. Obviously still very raw because he's making the switch from quarterback, but athletically it's just cool to see three guys like that on the same team in the same position group. Uh, Brian Robinson, I've got a lot of positive feedback from him, not only from coaches, but from players, specifically on the offensive line, saying that it's just a pleasure to block for him because of what he does with his vision and his feet in terms of setting up blocks. So keep an eye on that. I think another guy that is interesting is um, Percy Butler. You know, he flashes a lot in practice because he's so fast. Um, I like to see him take on blocks a little bit better, and that's what I'm excited to watch for the preseason this year. And then... Um, uh, anybody else? I think uh, uh, Derek Force is another guy that I like quite a bit, and I think I'm, I'm excited to watch him because every single coach I've talked to said he is a heat-sinking missile who's uh, ready to impart some, some pain on the other team. So it'll be nice to see that if that actually comes to fruition. But those are some groups that I'm, I'm very, very excited about in terms of watching this preseason and, and kind of where those groups develop to before the season starts. What are you concerned about? Yeah, what am I concerned about? I think, you know, like we've talked about it already, I'm concerned about um, Carson Wentz and the offense. I'm concerned that, you know, there's all this potential. Like, there's tremendous skilled players. You know, if Curtis Samuels is healthy, if Jahan plays like he's been playing, if he makes his chemistry with Terry McLaurin. Um, but those are all ifs. They haven't actually happened yet, right? Like, um, and I think those are questions. Can Carson, you know, can Scott Turner inflate him from a play-calling standpoint? Again, that's a big if. 
So like all that football math, I don't know what the sum of it is yet. I don't know exactly where they're going to be, and I think that's something that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about. I want to see how that comes, because if this offense is what it can be, this team's going to be very, very good. But if they end up being just kind of middling or average, then the team's going to struggle. I think the defense can carry them through most of the games because of the strength of schedule and because of the quarterbacks they're facing. But, man, I really want this offense to go because I think it has enough playmakers. I think they do some stuff um, from, from a schematic standpoint that's innovative and different and could be helpful. And it just really relies on Carson, where he is at. Is he the Carson from three years ago, four years ago, or is he the Carson from last year? And, um, and those are all questions that I, they cannot be answered until we get into game plans, until we get into actual uh, real-life bullets, um, because he's given us some information during training camp and OTAs. But I think the thing about his play so far is it's been really, really up during OTAs, like best OTA period I've ever seen, and then a little bit lower, obviously, for training camp and minicamp, and kind of now starting to crescendo going on the first preseason game. So hard to get a real hard beat on exactly what's happening there. Um. I've got a couple more for you if you've got time, um, I, because I, okay. I, you and I talked about this guy the last time you were on. Um, I really liked him. I know you really liked him, and you thought that he looked like the real deal. I've heard a lot of 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 good things about him so far. About you know he's going to be ready for the primetime lights uh, when the regular season starts. Do you feel like Jahan Dotson is going to be a massive contributor this year or not? I do. I do feel like he's going to be a massive contributor. I think when you just watch his level of route running, nuanced understanding, and the way he can stack routes, the way he makes the dig look like the out and the comeback, and they all kind of marry together, and he's, he's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers, the way he catches the football, the way he can make contested catches, you know, I think he's going to be special this year. And, like, the level, to what level that is, I don't know yet, because I think he does have some holes in his game. I think. You know, I think he does fine against press, but he definitely doesn't excel against press the way some of the other receivers on the roster do. And I think that's something he's got to work at. I think, you know, he's learning multiple positions now within the offense. And, like, if they can get him in a position where they're moving him around the formation, kind of like a Cooper Cup type situation, I think that is going to only add his production. But if he doesn't feel comfortable with that, obviously that's going to limit what they can do with him. So, again, there's a lot of questions about how high that ceiling is, but from a you know, a good football player, a guy that's got tremendous upside, a guy that I'm really excited about. All of the answers are yes. It's just about where where is the ceiling, and that comes down to uses and how much growth he, he he's able to kind of um, show over the course of the year. Your best guess: Will Jamin Davis end up looking like a a first round pick this year or not? So this is this is something like I've had this date, I've had Saturday circled on my calendar for you know, a while now, because in training camp, athletically, he looks apart. He's covering really well. He's moving really well. And like, you see all those, of those athletic traits you really want to see. But I felt like one of the things that he, a couple of things that he struggled with last year were they like diagnosing runs, fitting violently, using his hands to defeat blocks and tackling. And that stuff you're not going to see till tomorrow. So I'll be able to tell you, or till Saturday, excuse me. So I will be able to tell you more definitively after Saturday, but I like the way he's progressing. I like what he's shown. It's just about can he do that consistently and can he get some of those blemishes on his game cleaned up a little bit. Your first preseason game was with this team in 2010. What do you remember about it? Gosh, I, I, it's so funny. Someone asked me about this. I, I remember almost every play. I think I played uh, 11 plays, um, and they were very 
like they were right at the end of the game. I wasn't supposed to play, but we were blowing the Buffalo Bills out. So I got in the last minute, got like, I think it was nine or 11 plays. Um, I blocked really, really well. My helmet came off on a play. And I was like, man, like I can play in the NFL. And I, I didn't realize, you know, that I was playing against some guys who, you know, weren't necessarily NFL football players, but it was an awesome first experience for me and good to get out there and, you know, something I'll, I'll, I'll probably remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, the first Mike Shanahan preseason game in 2010, and Logan Paulson was a part of this team as a rookie. Washington blew out Buffalo 42-17. to You rarely see somebody hang 42 on somebody um, in, an, in an actual preseason game. When did you know during that first training camp in preseason that Kyle, Mike, the tight ends coach at the time, really liked you and you were going to make the team? When did you really have that sense? Honestly, I, I didn't really know. You know, I knew that they liked me. I knew that things were progressing. I knew that I was playing – pretty well but there was a lot of veterans on the team and you know i actually they they called me the morning of uh of cuts and they said hey we're going to cut you we're going to put you on practice squad so i you know i was i was ecstatic with that i was ecstatic with making practice squad and then later that day um you know uh bruce called me and said hey man we're going to bring you on the 53 and I, i thought it was a joke so that gives you an idea of my level of confidence in terms of making the team and then I was on the team, and I was on the 53-man roster, which was great. But, again, like, you don't really know. And I didn't really know then. As I got older, I got better at telling, like, how the roster was going to shake out. It's a skill that you learn because you're just around it so much. You know, you're kind of like, oh, well, these 45 guys are for sure locks on the team. you got three specialists, so you're really fighting for those kind of eight, six spots remaining. And um, at the time, I was too dumb to know any different, so I just gave it my all. But as I got older, you could tell a little bit better. All right, last question for real. Um, every preseason produces a player, you know, in kind of positions, you know, th- th- 40 to 90, you know, outside the, 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 the front-line starters and the obvious backups that emerges in the preseason and becomes kind of a preseason star. You know, that guy, Tory right. McKayer, last year kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you played with a guy yeah. who was a preseason star in Colt Brennan. Um Who's yep. who's that guy this summer? Well, I think it depends on position. I think uh, Jonathan Williams at running back is a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's going to get a lot of carries. I think they like him a lot. And like running backs in the preseason are always get a ton of touches. So, and he's done well in training camp with his opportunities. Um, I think um, I forget his first name, but Michelle, number nineteen, yeah, Mark and Michelle, yeah, yeah. Yeah, has flashed a lot in training camp. And again, he's got a lot of vertical speed. Same with McGowan, number 83. Uh, both those guys are vertical threat guys, and they're sneaky because like, they get in against the second or third team guys, and they haven't, the opposing defenses haven't seen guys with that kind of speed um, in their training camp. So they have a hard time matching up, and they end up having some big plays. I think those are interesting. Obviously, we mentioned Armani Rogers already um, because he's, again, like he runs a 4 5, he's 6 6, and he's 240. He's a tremendous athlete, so if he were to catch a ball with some space, he can do some damage. Um, defensively, I think, um, obviously, the, the, the young safeties are guys that are great candidates, but I don't think they're, you know, um, they're, it's a secret that they're very good football players. I think the linebackers, are, there's some guys there that are interesting. Uh, Milo and Harris are kind of small safety-type linebackers, but guys who know what they're doing play aggressively and have great coverage skills. So I think those are guys to keep an eye on defensively. And then defensive line, Daniel Wise, I'm sure that's the name most people are familiar with, but he will absolutely wreck this preseason just because he's absolutely wrecked training camp. And he's a guy that's going to 
play meaningful snaps for this football team, but he's going to be playing against the twos and the threes, and um, he's going to make some make some noise for sure. I'm really interested to see Armani Rogers because uh, you're the second or third person who's mentioned that name to me. He was a quarterback uh, in college uh, at Ohio University, and he's six five, and he's big and strong, and he can run. It sounds like. Um, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Uh, as always, uh, I would love to do it again with you before the regular season starts. Of course, tomorrow, Logan will be on the sidelines uh, on the call of not only tomorrow's preseason game, but the other two against Kansas City and Baltimore as well. Uh, appreciate it. Hope you're well. Oh, also, Logan does a podcast with Craig Hoffman, so you can get that podcast wherever you get a podcast. Um, did I miss anything? Yeah, take a man podcast. Take command, Take command podcast. podcast. Yeah, it. there you go. Um, yep. Thank you, as always. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it, buddy. All right, that's it for the show today. Let me give you a heads up. Tomorrow, after the preseason game against Carolina, uh, because it's the first ever uh, for the Washington Commanders, uh, I'm going to do a short podcast with Santana Moss and get his thoughts on the day as a former player, um, looking at the new uniforms, seeing and hearing the new fight song, but we'll also talk a lot about the game as well. So look for that uh, you know, probably sometime uh, tomorrow night. All right, that's it. Uh, until tomorrow, thanks. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.